Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Coming up on Pseudos America, Michael Malice stops in to discuss a potential national divorce. Who gets to keep Vegas? Do we know yet? I'm going to figure that out. Uh, Joe Rogan does what actual news outlets won't by trying to hold CNN accountable for their lies. And what goes up must come down. So let's look for some good news. Can we get a little bit of that? As we do, the fall of Delta. Stu does America. Well, well, well. Conservators unite. Welcome to Chartapalooza. We got a bunch of them for you today. I'm sure you're excited. Nobody can tease a segment like me. We're going to show you a lot of charts today. Woo! Uh, it seems like a kind of a, it seems like a movie sequel, doesn't it? We, we did a show about, what, two months ago called The Rise of Delta. And we went through what we thought was going to happen here in the next couple of months. And here we are about two months later doing the fall of Delta. As David Leonhardt has noted, since the pandemic began, COVID has often followed a regular, if mysterious, cycle. In one country after another, the number of new cases has often served for roughly two months before starting to fall. Here we are. It's happened again. Now, this hasn't been an ironclad rule. There have been exceptions to this, but largely this has been the pattern. You know, all the talk about all the mandates and all the crazy stuff we spent all of our time on. This has been pretty much the truth since the beginning. So where are we with Delta right now? Well, the big story, of course, in the mainstream media over the past couple of months, uh, when we're talking about the rise of Delta, the story was, of course, totally coincidentally, by the way, Florida. That has nothing to do with Ron DeSantis being a 2020-2024 contender. It's got nothing to do with that at all. In Florida, what's going on? Well, good news, Florida. Cases are down about 90% now from the peak. Now, I have not heard that on a lot of uh, networks. Has CNN been talking about that? Maybe they have. Maybe uh, no one's watching. But everything I've seen is still kind of the scaremongering, I can't believe what Florida's doing, those bastards. Hospitalizations are kind of a more reliable stat. We've been talking about this for a while. They kind of detect where you are during a given COVID wave. And you can see that uh, in Florida as well. Hospitalizations are down, thankfully, about 80% since the beginning of all this nonsense with Delta. Now, uh, Florida had an early rise. They were the focus of a lot of the early coverage, along with Texas and Mississippi, a couple of other uh, southern states, mostly in the south, to start this thing with Delta. And they were among the first to fall. But the nation as a whole looks like it's on the right side of Delta as well. Cases are down almost 40% from the Delta peak. And hospitalizations, well, they're looking better too. Nationwide hospitalizations are down also about 40% from the Delta peak. That's good news. We should be happy about these things. Now, as we all know by now, deaths lag the other stats by, you know, a few weeks. Um, but they started to fall as well, and uh, it's hard to tell exactly how much because of a data quirk with Arkansas over the past couple of weeks. But it looks like they're down about 20% so far and continuing to drop. Uh, that's good news, and of course they're going to follow hospitalizations unless people just start spontaneously combusting 
from COVID, which could happen. You never know when the next variant is around the corner. Uh, keep this uh, keep this chart up here for a second, because there have been four waves of COVID, uh, you could say, from the beginning of all this. The first two were basically regional. The first one we'll call the Cuomo wave. That's what we do on this program. We just assigned it all to Andrew Cuomo. Uh, that was mainly in the Northeast. Uh, the second one was mainly in the South, if you remember that last summer. The wave over the winter, however, pretty much hit most of the country. It was a full sort of full country wave, and it was not, you know, it's not, not lovely. Um, if you want good news, you can look at that chart again, though. The last wave wasn't Delta, okay? That was, a, that was the, I think it was Alpha, was the British variant that was most of that wave. Anyway, the wave uh, had a variant uh, that was not as contagious. This one, had a variant that was twice as contagious, but the peak of deaths was about 40% lower than the previous wave. We obviously here on Stu Does America don't want people to die. We think people dying is a bad thing here. But I will say this wave is clearly a big improvement from the winter one. We'll see if there's another one this winter. Maybe we can compare them one-on-one. Uh, -on -one. Despite all the scare tactics that are going around in the media, though, things are improving. And, you know, look, let's be honest about it. Whether you have mask mandates or not, honestly, nobody's paying attention to this nonsense anymore. In most of the country, we're pretty much living our normal lives with the looming possibility of vaccine mandates around the corner, which, of course, on this program, we oppose. But while we're here, it's important to note how these things are not needed or constitutional. Uh, but also vaccine mandates don't seem to work. And I just want to throw that out there as a third or fourth or fifth level argument here, because we talk a lot about how vaccine mandates are unconstitutional, and I believe that they are. But they don't seem to actually do anything either. Forget how you feel about vaccines for a second. The narrative that evil conservatives and or anti-vaxxers are the biggest thing affecting vaccination rates is a myth. First, let's look at the first phase of vaccinations. You see the big, it's a big mountain. Rise, then fall. Well, what happened the literal day of the peak of this chart? You, if you've been watching the show for a while, you might know the answer. The government paused the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Now, this was because of a very rare side effect that you might remember. It was so rare that after the pause, they didn't even add a warning label to the vaccine. So, I mean, you could say that they should have paused it or not, but they didn't even do anything after the pause. It understandably freaked people out, though, and then we had the drop afterward. Again, that's government action, though. That's not people saying, like, I don't want these things or I do want these things. It's the government making a big statement. Let's look at phase two of the, of, of the vaccines. What you see here, people started going back to get their shots again after the big drop. And slowly, over about two months, you doubled the rate overall. A doubling in the rate without any federal mandates at all. But then the rate falls again. What happened at the exact peak before the fall? There it is, Joe Biden. He said his patience was running thin, everybody. And he announced the mandate. After that mandate, of course, we saw uh, three weeks of dropping um, where we lost almost all of the previous two months of gains. And then finally, we see the rate popping back up again, and that's what the media is noticing. They are telling you that this is proof that vaccine mandates work. Now look, whether they work or not doesn't matter, okay? That's an important part of this and the most important part of this. They shouldn't be mandated whether they work or not, whether they get people to get vaccinated or not. It's unconstitutional and you should be able to make your own freaking health decisions. I'm not your dad. I'm not your doctor. You should make those decisions for yourself. And look, obviously at some level, 
some people are affected by vaccine mandates. I doubt the NBA rate would be 95% vaccinated without making the unvaccinated people uh, who are playing in the league incredibly miserable. Right. We, we know at certain levels when the only thing you could do is go to another team in the same league, it gets very difficult. But does this recent increase have anything to do with the mandate that Joe Biden announced? The answer is quite clearly no. You can tell who is taking the shots. And when you look at those charts, the story is clear. Now, people are getting their if you kind of look at there's three lines on this chart, people who are uh, getting their first shot. People are getting their second shot and then people who are getting their third shot. You see with people getting their first shot, the rate is actually down since he announced the mandate. The same thing with people getting their second shot. The account what accounts for the rise in vaccination that the media is giving Joe Biden credit for are just simply booster shots. Quite clearly, it's just the 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 mandate has accomplished nothing. These are mostly elderly people who are already vaccinated getting their boosters. That doesn't prove the mandate is working. And even if it was, who cares? If you look at the note from the New York Times here at the bottom as well, uh, a big part of the rise in boosters was just the added counting of Texas in the numbers. A big state makes a big difference. So if you hear someone in the mainstream media saying there's evidence that mandates are working, know that they are either lying or haven't looked into it at all. The media lies and the government lies and all this seems like it's never going to end. But I would like to take at least a second to, I don't know, look, look for sunshine here. You know, you have to recognize, I think people like look at the life we're living today and say, well, you know what? This sucks. And in a lot of ways it does. But think back to 2020. This is a lot better. Things are actually getting better. I mean, look at just we did, We talked about the NBA there. Late in 2020, the Lakers won the championship in front of zero people, which, by the way, is the exactly correct number of people who should watch the Lakers win the freaking championship. Zero. Now, in summer 2021, the Lakers got into the playoffs and got knocked out, which made all of the world happy. But they were at 33 percent capacity in their stadium. And that's that's this year. That's in the summer of this year. That seems like ancient history to me, but it's not that long ago at all. Now, in October of 21, uh, 2021, we are just days away from the NBA season starting, and almost every NBA re- arena will be at full capacity. Now, some of them do have annoying mandates and restrictions, but we are going in the right direction here. Things are still, I mean, I just think the American people can, will only deal with this for so long. Um, but that only happens because people who want freedom are demanding it. You have to realize that if you stop demanding it, it'll go away. But our demanding of this and our pushing, I think, is working. It's slower than what we want to happen. It's slower than we want it to work, but it is working. We should take a second to notice that every once in a while. But then you got to get back on the horse, because if we do not demand our freedom, nobody is going to hand it to us. So between Biden's monstrous infrastructure and spending bill and Pelosi's reckless spending on stimulus checks and unemployment benefits, the Fed is printing trillions of dollars seemingly every night. Inflation is rising at the fastest pace since 2008. So what are smart people doing? What are rich people doing? That's what I always want to know in these situations. What are people who have more than I do doing? Because I know they're smarter than me and I want them. I want to know what they're doing with their money. 
They're turning to an under-the-radar asset class where prices have more than doubled S&P returns between 1995 and 2020. It's a real physical asset, not gold, not real estate, not crypto. It's actually fine art. And for the first time, uh, you could actually get involved in this world. Everyday investors can allocate toward this $6 trillion asset class. It's no longer exclusive to the ultra-wealthy, thanks to one revolutionary startup. More than 200,000 members have already signed up, and their wait list keeps getting longer. Lucky for you, you got a hookup. You watch Studios America, you got the hookup. You got a special link to skip that waiting list. You got to check this out. You got to do your own homework. Obviously, when you're talking about an investment, it's important that you understand what you're doing here. So make sure to understand where you put your money. That's always smart, whether you're ordering a Taco Bell or investing uh, a lot of money. Masterworks.io slash stew. Masterworks.io slash stew. Now, previous offers have sold out in hours, so you want to go check this out. If this is something that's interesting to you, you want to check it out right away. Masterworks.io slash stew. Well, it's always great to have Michael Malice here in studio. He's the host of the You're Welcome podcast and the author of the Anarchist Heart Handbook, which you can pick up right now. You should do so immediately. Also, follow Michael on Twitter. Michael, thanks so much for coming on, man. Glenn made me be here. Yeah, that's, that's what always happens. It's always Glenn's fault. Um, for, let, let me start here. For people who don't know you, yeah. your life history is actually fascinating. Can you walk people through where you come from and kind of how you came, up, came to be Michael Malice? Well, there's a book about, written about me called Ego and Hubris, which goes for $400 <laughs> now on eBay. I'm not kidding. Yeah. Uh, it came out in 2006. But really? briefly, in, in terms of this context, mm. uh, I was born in the Soviet Union. We moved to the States when I was two years old. Yeah. Lived in Brooklyn my entire life. Until now, uh, in August, I moved here to the glorious nation of Texas. I'm now an Austin resident and a Texan. And it's been very disturbing to see what has happened to my beloved city. Uh, and I couldn't deal with it any longer. And, I, and it, for someone who doesn't know how to drive, let me tell you, this was not an easy decision to make. Yeah, I mean, really, you are making a decision that a lot of people are making right yes. now, which is to say, you know, people who've been New Yorkers their whole lives, who love New York, who can't imagine moving out and never would have, I, I think maybe even up until COVID, but have really now switched tons of people moving to Nashville, to Austin, to Texas, all over the place. So what what made what flipped that switch for you? Let me tell you something specific. I remember standing Washington Square Park looking north up Fifth Avenue and thinking to myself, if Al-Qaeda detonates a nuclear bomb in the city, take me with it because I can't leave New York. That's how much I love that city. There's wow. a great view up that street. And nothing Mohammed Atta did compared to what Mayor de Blasio did to New York City. Everything that mm -hmm. was unique and special about New York, they systemically uh, destroyed and humiliated and rubbed their faces in the dirt. Uh, it, what made me decide is, first of all, all my friends moved here, and that's very important for mm -hmm. anybody having their social network. Second of all, coming from the Soviet Union, the idea that I have to show papers in order to eat at a restaurant, to have this free exchange of my money in exchange for food, uh, is something I find completely unconscionable. My health decisions are my own and nobody's business but my own. Um, and knowing that there's no possibility in the, in the at least medium future of New York coming back. Because if I'm a small restaurateur, designer, I want to open a bookshop, why would I go to New York where there's so many hurdles and no one is moving there who's innovative? Now you could do it online. I, I think it's going to get much worse very quickly. And since I moved, we've seen uh, more violence on the subways. We're seeing uh, shoplifting has become basically decriminalized. And stores like drugstores, people go in with bagfuls of, of shopping bags 
fill them up, they get arrested, they make bail, they're out in the street within the same day. So it's going to get much worse in the near future, and it's very, very heartbreaking for me to have said goodbye uh, to that fallen city. Now we're seeing this in cities all over the country. Yes. I mean, San Francisco, uh, Walgreens. The pioneers, is, yeah. It's just basically like, yeah, we're just going to close up shop here. We can't let people in this community have their medicine because people are just coming in here and robbing us all the time and no one's doing anything. And I'm going to put my tinfoil hat and I say it would not surprise me if Amazon was in some way funding these political campaigns mm. because it serves them very well when that neighborhood drugstore is out of business and now you're going to Amazon Prime and getting all your drugs through the mail. If you go to these stores in these cities, things like deodorant and headache medicine are now behind a plastic div uh, divider and you have to get an employee to get a key and hand it over to you. Why would I want that shopping experience where I feel like basically I'm a prisoner when I could go in home and click a few buttons? So it's, it's even if Amazon's not behind, it's so disheartening to see that kind of divide between a welcoming store, we want your business and you know what, you know, th this is kind of a police state. It's, it's disgusting. It really is. Um, you've obviously born in the Soviet Union. Yeah. You wrote a book. The f when we first uh, talked, it was about your book uh, about North Korea. Yeah, Dear Reader, yeah. Dear Reader, which is fantastic. Um, and You, you went, named it one of the Blazes Books of the Year. It was one of my biggest honors. Thank oh, you so much. Oh, of course, of course. Um, you also uh, went to North Korea. Yeah. yeah. You, you mean, how much of this sort of like, you've dealt with a lot of uh, autocratic regimes sure, in your life. Sure. You've studied them, you've written about them, you've lived in them. Yep. How much of that kind of forms uh, your your political philosophy, which, I mean, you just wrote the anarchist handbook. Yeah. Like you, how much does that play into it? Enormously, and I think the key that Americans don't appreciate is how easy it is to get the population to believe things that are nonsensical or absurd, mm -hmm. and in fact, the crazier the belief, the more people want to demonstrate that they believe it, because they're competing on a mechanism of submission. They have nothing right. to offer, but they can say, look, I'm obedient, I'm following orders. Let them give one example. Regardless of what you think of COVID, uh, why are we not reintroducing social distancing? Either it made no sense at the time or it did make sense. If it did make sense then, why aren't we doing it now? No one's talking about it. We're pretending that it never happened. And if the science is settled, why is this not on the table? Remember we used to wipe down everything? Yeah. You go to the gym, mm -hmm. all the, my, my old gym in Brooklyn is all rusty because everyone wiped down all the weights and, and had to with, with some liquid. No one's doing that anymore and we're pretending like we never happened. So they can't both be true. So was it surprising to you uh, in the United States, a country that is not the Soviet Union, Certainly not. Were you shocked to see the sort of adherence to these sort of mandates when they happened? Because I remember when uh, the the when Italy was getting right. hit hard, and I remember thinking like they're shutting this down. We would never deal with that. Like a week later, here we are in shutdown. Were you surprised how this went down? I was surprised how docile the population was mm. because America is a very diverse country culturally. It's a very diverse country intellectually. We elected Donald Trump basically as a middle finger uh, because people <laughs> yeah. said you can't. Vote for a guy, he's a loon. All <laughs> yeah. the businesses, all the universities, all the newspapers agree, and people are like, you know what, screw you, I'm going to go and vote for him. And to see overwhelmingly the population being happy to sit down and, and stay at home, that I was very surprised about because as Americans, you know, revolution is our heritage. So thankfully that's turning a little bit, but that was very disheartening. Yeah, it was, it was, it was surprising to me, I yeah. know. Um, so let me go to your, your book, your previous book before that. I want to go jump there for a second. It was called The New Right. Yeah. And it was interesting. It was a great read and very uh, interesting. And I, I, I kind of got the sense from reading it that you were 
you wrote it as an observer. Sure. Right. You were not you weren't saying you were in the new right or a member of the new right. You wrote it as a, a, a as an astute observer of what was happening on the right. Can you explain to people what you think is actually going on and, and does it lead to anything good? I think what we're in, what the healthiest thing that's going on right now is an enormous loss of respect and increase in contempt from Americans toward corporate media. Because mm -hmm. it used to be that you have a Democratic president and people on the right or people who are, you know, on the non, uh, certainly kind of edgy left would have contempt for the Democratic president. O Obama was a good example of this. Sure. When, when Biden got into office, conservatives didn't start going after Biden per se. They started going after CNN. They started going after the New York Times and all their apparatchiks. So, so to understand that Biden is basically the consequence, that the poisoning starts at the corporate media, and in my opinion, even earlier at the universities, that is a big sea change. And that is why I'm so hopeful for the future of this country. Because no matter how bad people think Biden or Pelosi are, they have no near the amount of hatred and contempt for you that the New York Times editorial board does. So is it is is what makes you hopeful the idea that people are waking up and seeing these people for who they are and also seeing how unimpressive the enemy class is. Hmm. You can't look at AOC and you can't look at Don Lemon and say, <laughs> I can't beat this person. They're an insurmountable foe. Stalin's no, a scary true. dude. Oh, Stalin's yeah. a yeah. terrifying dude. Woodrow Wilson is a tough guy. Mm -hmm. But if you, I mean, look at Congress. I mean, it, it's kind of ridiculous <laughs> to think I can't beat uh, these people. You look at the New York Times editorial board. You look at the people who are professors at Harvard when you see them express themselves on Twitter. You can't think this is an intellect far beyond mine. It's like, this guy's posting like my aunt on Facebook yeah. with, with like Ben Shapiro memes. <laughs> it's interesting because it's like that is a real function of social media where yes. like these people who are on these pedestals, right? They, they're brought down to our level. I, we were talking about Glenn a little bit earlier. I remember when, when Glenn you know, started on, uh, you know, on Fox News and he went at one point went on TV and he was doing one of his famous chalkboards and yeah. he misspelled a word. Oh, God help us. And like it was like a big deal. Yeah, 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 like, yeah. People were like, oh, my gosh, this moron misspelled Dan Quayle. this word. Yeah, Dan Quayle. Famous Famously, like his his career was ruined over misspelling potato, sort of, and like here we are. Late, every celebrity, every intellectual is continually misspelling words in public, and no one cares. Like we now we see them not as statues anymore. Yeah, and it's it's hilarious and it's wonderful. Keith Olbermann, yeah. uh, you know, in just the last 24 hours, I've gotten him to melt down even more <laughs> over social media because when they're in their offices, they're treated with respect and yeah. they're treated with honorarium. You know, when Glenn walks through these halls, you're not allowed to make eye contact with him. <laughs> you have to refer to him That's as right. Mr. Beck, sir. He demands uh, it. But as soon as he goes on, uh, uh, Keith goes on Twitter, mm -hmm. he's a complete laughingstock. Joe Rogan just recently made a laughingstock out of him. And these people do not know how to reconcile those two. And I don't blame them. If I'm treated with respect 20 hours a day and then I go on the computer that the grand kids use and all of a sudden people are pointing out I'm a clown. What's going on here? I have no context for it. And that's what's going to bring down uh, these horrible, horrible contemptible people. You made a point about Keith Olbermann on Twitter uh, and you said the choice is clear. Do we have this photo here? Because I think you look at this and you do know right away the choice is clear between Michael Malice I, and Keith I'm an Keith underwear Olbermann. model now. That's from Sheath Underwear. Is it really? If you go to sheathunderwear.com promo code Malice, you get 20% off. There you go. There you go. <laughs> I will say I would much rather have that than whatever Keith Olbermann is doing. He, he looks like he looks sad. He looks like a sad old lady cowering behind the flag because he just wet himself and needs not people not to see his wet pants. Right. He chose that image for his book cover. That is incredible. Yeah. I did not know that. When yes. I saw the photo, I thought it was just like someone snapped it and he didn't know. Right.
right? This is the one he actually this chose. This is his book cover, yes. Okay. And the book was a big failure, by the way. Which is not a shock at all. Yeah. Um, so let's go to your book, which was not a failure. It was a success, The Anarchist Handbook. And it's and you're challenging. It's interesting because I think, you know, there's a lot of people who are on the conservative side who've seen you talk about uh, Donald Trump sure. um, and, and, and have come to you maybe through that prism and uh, might th- hear the word anarchy immediately and pull back. Now, sure. Part of this, I think, is is just because, you know, when people think anarchy, they're thinking people are breaking windows in Portland, sure. Oregon, right? Um, on the other side of that, though, where we are, uh, like the midpoint between here and anarchy is is what? I mean, it's it's maybe like traditional conservatives. Like, you know, like we are we've moved way to the left. So I think people who want smaller government have some have some sympathy for the anarchist argument in a way. Can you explain this to to someone who just hears anarchy and immediately pulls back? Well, you I think you and I can both agree that anyone who thinks conservatism has been a mechanism towards smaller government, the facts are in and that has not been a mechanism. Not worked, yeah. Even Ronald Reagan, who was a great conservative president, mm-hmm. the budget exploded mm-hmm. under his watch. He got the tax cuts, but he gave Tip O'Neill as much spending as he wanted. So there's been not even an attempt by conservatives to decrease the size of government. What anarchism means in one sentence is you do not speak for me and everything else is application. It means political authority is completely illegitimate. So the idea that you could have small government is nonsensical and utopian because no government stays small because you're going to have politicians whose job it is to accumulate power. It's going to draw people who want more power for themselves and for their minion minions. And that's happened from day one of the Constitution, which was itself an enormous increase of power over the Articles of Confederation, which preceded it. So mm-hmm. uh, anarchism basically means a peaceful, voluntary society. Now, how that plays out is obviously much more complicated, and that's why I put together the Anarchist Handbook. Right, right. Like going back to we were talking earlier about San Francisco, right? Right. San Francisco has all these issues with people, you know, robbing these stores, and uh, what they've done there is basically said, you know, what we're not going to prosecute anybody really for uh, crimes under I think it's what is it nine hundred dollars or. But also, it's made it illegal for those shop owners to defend themselves and mm. to hire private security. So you have the worst of both worlds. Right. Under an anarchist system, you would be able to not only have guns in your own store, you'd be able to keep people out from your store, and you'd be able to have private security which should be armed to make sure that people don't do this kind of stuff. Because this is you know, anarchist. The the theory is beyond what we would consider like libertarianism, right? Correct. Like we're talking, it's not limited government. Correct. It's basically no government. There's no such thing as limited government because the people who are limiting it have a certain... Can't cert- there be, though? Give me Can't a- there be? Can you give me one example of a politician? <laughs> I can't say, no. I'm going to be like socialist and say like, oh, it's going to work it, when it, I try it, it next it's time. It's never been tried. <laughs> it's never been tried. But th- we have tried it. We did try yeah. limited government and it took mm-hmm. 70 years for the federal government to wage war in half the country. Now, whether it was rightly or wrongly, you can't describe that as an example of limited government. You're talking about the Civil War. The Civil War, yes. Hmm, that's an interesting. I've never thought of the Civil War as uh, as an argument against limited government, but it's certainly, uh, obviously, Lincoln and all. There's a lot of critiques from uh, the libertarian side that say that you know he obviously grabbed too much power at that point. But even if he didn't grab too much power, it was unlimited power what he has because whatever right. the people who are limiting the the Supreme Court ostensibly limits the power of the federal mm-hmm. government, but though that Supreme Court justice has to get through the Senate. So why would the Senate pass the Supreme Court justice, which is going to limit the Senate's power? It doesn't make any sense. So, but doesn't isn't this doesn't this create a vacuum isn't there who's your your pope who's your pope how do you mean if we eliminate the pope there's going to be a vacuum we need a new pope right right who's your king 
right. don't have a king. So right. this is claim that if you don't have one single person at the top, there's, it's going to be filled in. That's nonsensical. We, well, don't, we don't have a central person for medicine. We don't have a central person for accounting. Mm -hmm. There's no reason to have a central person for security. Uh, having a government monopoly on violence or, or health care or education leads to no accountability and leads to destruction and strife and conflict among people as opposed to if those people want to make their own choices and be able to switch providers of each of these systems, it works out better for everyone and it becomes cheaper and more accessible to poor people. Uh, so what happens in a national defense situation? How does that work in an anarchist world? First of all, this claim that if like the federal, let's suppose the federal government vanished tomorrow, right? Mm -hmm. The idea that if anyone invades any other country, people are going to uh, sit in their hands is demonstrably false because right. there's several countries on earth right now which don't have governments. And there's a basically an international coalition to be like, if you invade, we're going to Kuwait, we're going to get together and make sure this doesn't happen. Number one. Number two is it's really hard to invade and conquer a population of 300 million people if they all have arms. Yeah. The Afghanis just kicked out us. So the claim that somehow some country is going to come in and invade and conquer us, look at Canada. They've got a tenth the population we have. No one's thinking of invading Canada. The, the, the international cooperation, though, isn't that even a higher form of government? I mean, it's essentially... A I, I'm not saying anarchism has to be worldwide. So there's right. certain... If you had, like, let's suppose Vermont just declared itself an independent republic right. and had no government... Who's going to invade? There's no reason they can't make, cut a deal with Washington and say, you protect us. And, that, and your bodyguard or, or your chef doesn't become a sovereign over you right. in the same way that if you have a doorman in your building, that doorman doesn't, isn't the king of the building. He doesn't own the building. He's providing a service to you. Mm -hmm. And this isn't hypothetical. Right now, people don't realize this. You can buy protection from the United States government. So if your country or your company is invaded, they'll send in the warships and, and protect you. So this is a service that the federal government provides already. So there's no reason an anarchist area couldn't pull their resources and outsource security to the, the U.S. government, which is the most powerful government that's ever existed. Uh, that's why I love talking to Michael Malice. Always fascinating. And I will say, like, so much of the conversation on the right right now is challenging us to increase the size of government. Think of how many conversations you listen to on conservative podcasts. They're talking about, well, we need to take power here. We need to take power power here and just do this one thing and this other thing. We need to be challenged to the side of smaller government. It's not happening that much anymore. Michael is definitely doing it here. And I appreciate it. Michael Malice, host of Your Welcome, uh, the podcast and author of the Anarchist Handbook. It's available now. Make sure to uh, pick it up. Uh, Michael, thanks so much for coming pleasure. on. Thanks, too. So if you're trying to buy or sell a home right now, uh, you know the market is going kind of crazy. Uh, and uh, a lot of people moving, uh, just like Michael, to, uh, to Texas uh, right now. If you're, no matter where you're moving, you need to find the, the best real estate agent you can. Glenn started a company a while ago to sort this out for you. It's called realestateagentsitrust.com. And if you are moving to a new area, you want to get the best agent in that area. You don't want to just like, believe some advertisement that's on a bench somewhere or some friend of a friend of a friend of a friend. You need someone who's going to be able to do the job and do it better than everybody else. And that's why realestateagentsitrust.com exists. You go there, you find the best agent in your area, whether you're buying a home or selling a home, get the transaction to go down the best way possible and get the best price for whatever you're trying to do. realestateagentsitrust.com is the place to go to find the service. realestateagentsitrust.com. If you're like so many Americans that get to the end of Studos America and think, now what do I do with my life? We have something for you to do with your life. 
new exclusive content going up right after this program on YouTube. Go to youtube.com slash America. This is a YouTube-only thing. If you happen to be listening on podcasts, if you happen to be watching on Pluto or on Blaze TV, uh, we're popping this one on YouTube. Uh, check it out there. Uh, exclusive content. Today, we're going to be focusing on mocking relentlessly one of the annoying quirks that have come out of the COVID era from all of our celebrities and uh, betters. Okay, all those people do these things and we're just going to mock them relentlessly. So check it out. YouTube.com slash Stu Does America right after this program is going to be posted there. Exclusive content for you on YouTube. So check that out. YouTube.com slash Stu Does America. By the way, the uh, vaccine mandate still in the works. Now, they announced it a while ago. We went over what happened after they announced that vaccination rates dropped precipitously. Uh, but uh, now they're saying they're going to put in this uh, this mandate through OSHA. They've turned it in now to OSHA. They're going over the process here. It seems like in November maybe is when it kind of goes into effect. It's unclear whether there's going to be a period for people to comply or not. And it's also unclear how many people this is actually going to hit. I mean, obviously something like 80% of adults are already vaccinated, at least at some level. Now, the number for working uh, working age uh, is, is going to be lower than that because the numbers are so high with elderly people. Uh, but, you know, a lot of people are already going to be clear of this and not have to worry about it. Also, if you're in a uh, company that employs less than 100 people, supposedly this is not going to apply. And the mechanisms of this are so dumb. I mean, they're so arduous and ridiculous. Um, but basically, you're going to have to have someone who works with you complaining that they're not they're not actually complying with this rule so it's going to be hard to know like how are you going to know i guess if if you are unvaccinated and you're at work and you're saying i'm unvaccinated screw these people then i guess in theory they could report you to osha and then they'd have to come to the company and you know this is going to happen with a bunch of companies how they only have like i think a thousand employees in the entire uh in the entire uh, realm of osha so how they're going to enforce this. I mean, it's laughable at every single step of the way. Uh, of course, that doesn't stop Biden. Just because everyone's laughing at him doesn't stop him from doing things. Look at Afghanistan. I wish I was laughing at him in Afghanistan, but it was actually a lot darker than that. But when he fails and when he does things that, uh, that everyone seems to think are ridiculous, like what's going on with the border or what's going on with inflation, he just seems to power through it. I mean, what's his latest... Uh, his latest shtick on the gas prices is fascinating. I have this in the stack here somewhere. Uh, as gasoline prices surge, Biden administration shifts blame to anti-competitive practices. Well, I, I mean, I suppose you're going to spend how many trillions of dollars on Green New Deal type stuff? You're trying to get every single company to go electric in the next few years. Uh, I, what you're doing is hurting the country in ways much, much worse than what, I, how would these gas stations even do this? The whole point with gas stations, there's so many of them, it's easy to compete. There are apps that tell you how to save like two cents down the street at another gas station. Okay, there is, it's very difficult to manipulate the price at this point when it comes from station to station, but they're complaining about this as they, as they normally do. And they complain about fossil fuels all the time. It's like, we don't want fossil fuels. We're going to make it incredibly difficult for everyone to get them out of the ground and get them into your car. And then we're going to complain about the practices of these companies because the gas prices are too high. How does this make sense to anybody? Uh, but back to the, uh, the whole situation with COVID, there's a great exchange between Joe Rogan and 
Dr. Sanjay Gupta. Now, Gupta, you may know him from his illustrious career at CNN, but he was also supposedly, he was not, I, I, Obama wanted him, I think it was for Surgeon General, right? Um, when, he was, when he was coming into office. I and mean, this is a guy who's been around for a long time. And Joe Rogan got lots of criticism on CNN because he t said at, when he had COVID, his doctor prescribed him ivermectin. Now, this was, as you know, referred to as horse dewormer over and over and over and over again by every mainstream outlet. Uh, so Rogan got Gupta on the air and said, hey, what the hell was going on there? Watch. It was a tweet and it was snarky. I admit it. They said, you are not a horse. You are not a cow. Stop taking this stuff or something like Why that. Why would you say that when you're talking about a drug that's been given out to billions and billions of people, a drug that was responsible for one of the inventors of it making the Nobel, the Prize. Winning, the Nobel Prize in 2015? Yeah. Yeah. No, a, a drug well, that has been shown to stop viral replication in vitro. You know that, right? I, I, Why would they lie and say that's horse dewormer? I can afford people medicine, mother. <laughs> <laughs> this is ridiculous. It's just a lie. I don't think anyone is th but don't you think that a lie like that is dangerous on a news network when you know that they know they're lying? Do you think I want that that's a problem, that your news network was not lies? Well, I don't... I don't th Dude. I mean, what did they say? They lied what and they said I was taking horse dewormer. First of all, it was prescribed to me by a doctor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Along they with shouldn't have said a it was bunch horse. of if, other if medications. Was, if you got a human pill because there were people that were taking it the veterinary medication and i you're not obviously you got it from a doctor so that it shouldn't be called that ivermectin can be a very effective medication for parasitic disease does it bother you that the news network you work for <laughs> out and out lied <laughs> well, just outright lied about me taking horse dewormer they, they they shouldn't have said that why did they do that i don't know you didn't ask? You I, didn't think that was your, did, you're the medical guy over there. I didn't ask. I should have asked before coming But they coming did it with podcast. such glee. No, Yes, they did. I watched. I mean, he's totally right on this, right? A hundred percent right. Um, you know, look, did, did you have some people bought the, the, the veterinarian application to this? I'm sure some people have, maybe worried about shortages or whatever. Maybe they couldn't get it from their doctor. Uh, maybe somebody has done that. I'm sure it's possible. But it was it was just a way to mock people who didn't agree with them. That's what that whole horse dewormer thing was. That's all it was. Everybody, we literally require refugees that come in from other countries to take ivermectin. It is not something that is like this foreign crazy substance. Now, how effective it is against COVID is a whole nother situation, which if you think it is effective, then you should be able to take it. If you don't, then you don't. But that is to, to mock a person and say, hey, this is uh, this is horse dewormer, which they did over and over and over again on CNN was wrong. They knew they were lying when they said it and they said it anyway. That's the worst part. You know, you might have, who even heard of ivermectin before this, right? I don't know. If you follow the Nobel Prize, maybe you would have heard about it. I didn't hear about it until it started being discussed for a treatment of COVID. But like, maybe you hear that the first time, you hear someone call it horse dewormer, it might be funny. Uh, but like, you're a news network and you're going on the air, putting banners up, putting, uh, putting statements out, calling an individual, an actual person in the public eye, a liar, and a guy who is, a, uh, who is taking dangerous horse dewormer medication, and you're saying it on a news network. You know, Stephen Colbert wants to make a joke about you. That's one thing. This is a news network doing this over and over and over again.
uh, out of control. And, and thank, thankfully, Joe Rogan uh, had a minute there to actually call them out on it to their face. And you, as you saw, there were no good answers. Why are all these people having protein bars that were designed as horse dewormer? See, I could do the same thing to Built Bar, but I'm not going to do that because Built Bar was not designed to deworm horses. You should know that, despite what CNN is saying. Uh, they've got great flavors like coconut, mint brownie, double chocolate, salted caramel, and cookies and cream. And you know what? I don't know. Uh, I will say that Built.com uh, is going to cure you of any of your diseases, but it will um, fill you up. It will cure your uh, sweet tooth disease. If you've got that, this can be the cure for you. It can fill you up. It can you know, replace a meal. It can be a great snack. 180 calories, but 18 grams of protein and just a few grams of sugar, a few grams of carbs. Uh, this is the type of thing where uh, you can satisfy uh, your hunger and knock it out and maybe, I don't know, be a little healthier. Built.com. It's a good thing to do. Built.com. Use your promo code Stu15. You'll save 15% off your first order. And remember, they go with taste first. Taste is important to Built. Unlike some of these other cardboard outfits out there that are putting sawdust in the middle of their bars and just they taste like junk. Built does it right. Use promo code Stu15. Save 15% off right now at Built.com. The promo code is Stu15. If you haven't been watching this program for all that long, you know that one of the things we talked about uh, last year was uh, a lot about the election, as everybody else did. And you may have noticed the uh, election preview show where we called out every single state and which way it would go. And if you go back and watch that show, what you will find is that the exact electoral vote count that was actually that actually wound up happening was what we predicted. Exactly. The exact count. I don't know if any other show did that. I know that we did it. And one of the things we talked about as we led up to, the, to uh, that election was to talk about how it's not really a good idea to tell your voters not to vote. This was a, a strange concept uh, to uh, many, seemingly many Republicans out there. Now, look, Donald Trump has been the one who talked about it quite a bit. He's out talking about it again. He says, if we don't solve the presidential election fraud of 2020, which we have thoroughly and conclusively documented, Republicans will not be voting in 22 or, or 2024. It is the single most important thing for Republicans to do. Now, look, I don't care what you think about the election's over. Biden's in there. We're all suffering under this terrible, terrible presidency. But one way to stop that presidency would be having Republicans vote. I don't don't please don't not vote because Donald Trump is upset about the last election or even if you think there's fraud or whatever. It's just just not a good idea not to vote. Now, we saw that we talked about this at the time. There was one state in which Donald Trump encouraged people to vote by mail. One state, Florida. It was one of his best performing states in the entire election because he said that's a state you could do it because they do it right there. Encouraging your people to vote is a good tactic. When you tell people like Lynn Wood did, don't vote in Georgia. It's bad. Don't trust these people. What happens? Why are we on the hook for 3.5 or 4.7 or 6.6 trillion dollars of Biden spending? Because of those two Senate seats in Georgia where Lynn Wood was out there telling everybody not to vote. It's just not a good idea not to vote for the thing that you actually believe in. Even if you think there's fraud, you still have to go out there and place these votes because they're not going to need fraud if you don't show up. They're just going to get what they want. And that's certainly not a better thing. Okay, so here's what happened. Lady makes an order. 
on Amazon. And it's a, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a complicated order. The driver pulls up and realizes it's going to be kind of a long day. Why? Because there's 314 packages in the order. <laughs> kind of an issue <laughs> there. The picture is pretty amazing because basically they line the entire driveway with packages. Uh, apparently it was some sort of military order. Uh, it was supposed to kind of go out in several shipments. Instead, it kind of came in one. And this poor guy wound up having to unpack 314 boxes, or at least unload 314 boxes, and then the lady had to unpack that uh, of, of goods, like sparkling water and canned goods and all these things. It wasn't even like light items. I guess the, what wound up happening is somehow the Amazon system thought they were envelopes, so they assigned one person to deliver all 314. Total catastrophe. Luckily, they did, they did at least offer them drinks. Uh, so the guy got uh, drinks and snacks as he was unloading 314 packages. Just a nice, easy, nice, easy job. Um, okay, before we go, we're about to have exclusive content on YouTube that you need to see. We're mocking celebrities and elites and all of their annoying uh, vaccine selfie photos. And uh, I think you will uh, will like this a little bit. It's on YouTube.com slash Stu Does America. YouTube.com slash Stu Does America. Uh, it's going to be uh, only on YouTube for now, at least. And if you're on podcast, you can go there right now. Take your time right now. Just do it right now. What else are you doing with your time? You've got nothing going on in your life. Um, at least that's what, I mean, I've got nothing going on in my life, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So go to YouTube.com slash and check it out now. Make sure to share it on all of your social media. We will uh, see you tomorrow.